As an industry, we've made it our business to learn about games, how they work, about their resonance, and their successes or failures. But there's a human side to the industry as well. My name is Paul James, and welcome to Dev Diary, a series that explores and celebrates the incredible feats of the people behind the games, as we dive into their stories, the highs, the lows, and everywhere in between. In this episode, I'm joined by Graham Struthers, co-founder of Devolver Digital, so join us as we explore his journey. This episode of Dev Diary was recorded with Graham Struthers walking around in the streets of Sydney. As a result, you do get a little bit of background noise from time to time, and we apologise for that interference. But enjoy the episode. So today I'm joined by Graham. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. You're coming to us from the beautiful gardens in Sydney at the moment, not far from the Opera House. So it's a yeah. It's a it's a first for for an episode to just have someone out there in the, I guess out there in public, um, with society moving the world moving on around them. It's it's quite cool. You can hear a little bit of hustle and bustle in the background. It's awesome. You enjoying your time yeah, there? It's very beautiful. Yeah, I mean, uh, if you've not been to the Botanic Gardens in Sydney, then um, you need to remedy that and uh, get down here. It's a pretty awesome place to hang out for a few hours. Now, we're having this conversation off the back of PAX Australia just this past weekend, a little while ago, as of when you, the listener, are listening back to this. But um, how was your time at PAX? How did you enjoy it? Oh, great. I mean, this is, uh, this is our third year of uh, being part of PAX Australia, and it's been it's, each year has been great. The show's obviously growing. Um, that's not a, you know, there's more and more exhibitors. There's obviously more and more people coming yeah, along. Sure. So, yeah, it's a really cool, really cool show. It's a really... Compared to other shows we do, it's super relaxed, um, very, very chill, which is appreciated when you're standing on a booth for three days, that the, the people who are coming in are so uh, calm and relaxed and, and, and nice to be around. What was it like uh, when, you, when you're talking about relaxed and the, the calmness, is it, is it kind of a comparison in terms of the scale and the size, or are you talking about just the nature of the way people are approaching it? Because I haven't, I, I been, I haven't been to other just... PAXs, so... I think I'm just giving Australia a pat, pat on the back for uh, being very, very chill. Um, Sounds so good to me. I think it's maybe, maybe it's just your, your lovely natures. We'll, we'll all take that as one big compliment. And if you're a listener <laughs> from outside of Australia, then maybe you should come along and visit. Um, so this is Definitely Dev Diary, a series yeah. where we talk to developers from all around the industry. They, they share their experiences in the industry, uh, share a few stories, and ultimately we lead up to where... You currently reside now. These days, you are uh, working at Devolver, but your story with, with games um, began, you know, well before that. Uh, what were your first, <laughs> what were your first gaming experiences? And I don't mean in the industry. I mean, what, what were the first games that you were playing? Um, I guess we're going to have to go back to uh, Nintendo NES, you know, yep. um, and and basically the starter pack that came with the with the machine. Because I, I, I seem to, I'm, I'm thinking back, and I don't remember it was that easy to get games. Yeah, okay. I think it was that easy just to go out and buy them. Um, so I probably played an awful lot of Duck Hunt, yep. um, thinking about it. Um, and then, I don't know, quite quickly, it just, I mean, there was an Amiga that turned up in the house. Um, although that never seemed to work very well. It was more for just messing around on. And then finally, a Mega Drive made its appearance. Uh, okay. At which point uh, it was it was you know I went for all the classics I guess I mean all the cliches maybe but um, Sonic Sonic Two uh, Desert Strike um, Formula One all excellent starting points 
Yeah. Um, and then just, you know, started working around games uh, not long after that, actually. Was there a particular game that I you joined... identify as all, at all that kind of, I don't know, maybe prompted you to go on and pursue that path at all? I think the first game that probably uh, took away all my hours was a game called June 2, which was yep. by Westwood Studios, um, which came out on Amiga and PC. Um, and I, I don't know, I just I hadn't really played strategy games until that point. Um, and but this one just grabbed you? In a bizarre, yeah, in a, a kind of fairly bizarre twist. I didn't really know much about video games publishing, how it worked. Um, but, if, you know, about a year... No, maybe, no, it's probably not. Probably about two years later, I joined Virgin Interactive, and they actually uh, owned uh, Westwood Studios, who were the developer of June 2. So, yep. in a strange way, I um, ended up meeting those guys. It's a small world, how I'm... these things all kind of come together at the end of the day. Indeed. Indeed. Um, yeah. And then from... Yeah, sorry, go on. I was going to say, when I, after I joined Virgin, um, I started working uh, in Europe... Uh, on Command and Conquer uh, in the build-up to the launch of Command and Conquer, and sort of stuck around with Westwood Studios pretty much four years. Uh, Command and Conquer, then Red Alert, and then in the midst of development of uh, Command and Conquer: Tiberian Sun, uh, Westwood was bought by Electronic Arts. Um, so I ended up at Electronic Arts, which was a bit of a an unforeseen step, uh, and, and spent 12 months working there whilst. Tiger yep. and Sun got finished up and we published that game. And, I mean, the Command & Conquer franchise itself is you know, not a small franchise um, these days, maybe getting neglected more than it should, just in my personal opinion, but um, it's not a small franchise at all and it's a it's a kind of big way to make your first steps into the industry, I, su- I suppose. Yeah, I mean, again, going back at that particular point in time, you know, the industry didn't really... Yeah, you know, it, was, it was. No one was predicting anything. I think it was. It was almost like, literally, like a stone rolling down a hill. Yes. Uh, it just built up some momentum. Um, and you know, working on, I mean, Command and Conquer. Looking back on it, when I think about the original game, I don't think there was any more than thirty, maybe thirty-five people worked on that project. Yeah. Um And and when it came out, it wasn't like it was something that was a. Anyone knew it was going to be a big hit. In fact, if anything, it it seemed like maybe that the kind of the aesthetic it was presenting was more familiar to people who'd been playing on Amiga and maybe um, ST. And by that point, CD-ROM had started to heave into view and people were getting more and more excited about full motion video. Um, so it was kind of like a little bit of a egg when it came out. It wasn't really something that anyone was expected to do as well as it did. And it did become a, an absolute phenomenon, which is great. Yeah, really took the world by storm. Now, one thing that I noticed as I was kind of, I guess, pouring through your your careers, credits and those sort of things is that, so obviously you were, you were at EA for a few years there off the back of Virgin. Uh, there was a period there before even Virgin where you were at Dixon Store Group as a buyer. Um, but I would say overall, if, if I was to maybe use one term that kind of described that period from Virgin onwards up until you got to Devolver, uh, you maybe had a very transient career at that point. You you spend a, a few years at each at each different location and I'd, I'd imagine you know as a result you're you're building up quite a range of different experiences because in that time there was as we mentioned uh, virgin and, and ea but there was take two there was there was atari um you were general manager at gme which was a, like a startup publisher um and then ultimately you landed at devolver where you've you've been since and we'll, we'll get to that shortly but 
what sort of things do you pick up from working with those various different publishers, I assume, in kind of varying capacities? I, I generally learned that I wasn't very good at working inside of big organizations. Oh, right. um, okay. But, but um, no, I mean, it, the, the games industry, like I just said, it, 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 it started out, you know, pretty, like, it kind of started from zero. Uh, and very quickly, you had companies acquiring other companies, such as yeah. Electronic Arts buying Westwood Studios. But in the space of, I guess, my first five to ten years of the games business, um, you know, things just kept getting bought or even shutting down. You know, yeah, okay. Because companies would, you know, come into the industry, they'd invest a bunch of money, it didn't work out for them. And fall they'd away. sell up and get back out. You know, so companies like Warner's and Disney had several attempts um, in, in that period. And the, I suppose when you're young, you're not necessarily thinking about a career from the perspective of staying in one place. Yeah, just for the sake of it, you know. Um, and again, I, you know, you, you know, one thing in, in, in my experience was I kept meeting people who had different ideas about game development, different ideas about game publishing, and some yeah. of those were, to me anyway, more interesting than what I was doing perhaps when I was at, um, you know, Electronic Arts latterly. Um, and my journey was always kind of like taking me closer into the development relationship than it was to the retail publishing side. So yes. I was more interested in getting in that space than I was in meeting the vice president of retail buying for, I don't know, uh, whatever big store we were trying to impress at any given moment in time. No, I can so. appreciate that. Um, and yeah. that, you know, moving through those different um, organizations over time ultimately led you to Devolver. Um, how did that all come to be? Um, you're, you're a co-founder, obviously. So, yeah, well, um, so Harry... Harry Miller and Mike Wilson, um, I knew who they were. You know, I mean, I think pretty much uh, anybody around at that time would have known who they were because they had set up a company in the very late 90s called Gathering of Developers. Yep. And the construct of Gathering of Developers was, was developers joining forces uh, to try and break out of having to have a publisher. Uh, so raising money themselves to be able to publish their own games. And the deep rationale there was keeping ownership of their IP, being yeah, okay. able to control everything to do with the game they were making. Which is still a big um, um, point these days, I guess, for Devolver. Is that correct? Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's the DNA right there. So I, I, I knew who they were, and then I was lucky enough to, to get to meet uh, Mike. Who's, you know, this is where it gets a little bit of a minefield, the story. So Take Two had bought Gathering of Developers, uh, in the early 2000s, then they'd kind of let it fade away. Um, and around about 2002, 2003, um, I got asked to, to join, to, to, to restart the actual development side, you know, the, you know, the various projects, some of which were legacy games. Yep. And Mike, Mike was asked if he would come back, um, and, and, and be a, a figurehead really for it. So that's how I met Mike. And initially, it was kind of pretty exciting because there was an opportunity there to, to, to A, restart some of the, the, the games that Gathering had previously worked on and also add some new, new content. So we did, we did about a year there together. Um, but then, you know, no rancor attached to this, but the management take-two changed. The senior management changed. Their strategy changed. Yes. And Gathering of Developers was not part of that strategy change. So again, 
just a parting of ways uh, at that point. Yeah, and I was fortunate enough that, you know, I could just take some time out. Um, and around that time, I'd, I'd also met Harry uh, Miller. And I kind of asked them, you know, why have you not thought of doing it again? You know, having another go. Yeah. And that was, again, that was, I guess, 2006, 2007. And... They did uh, start a company up which had the fantastic name of Gamecock um, and it was an attempt to, to rebuild the same model as Gathering um, but unfortunately um, as, as again external forces have their say the financial crisis that hit 2008 pretty oh, much Oh yeah, that would out. be a tricky period, yeah Yeah, kind of well, it, this time, that particular company had investors that that's how it got off the ground, right? Money had been put in but those people who'd put the money in, um, come 2008, had a different view of the future. So they made it clear they weren't going to stay in the uh, in the in the structure. Yes. Um, and that that was that was pretty much the end of that. Uh, so yeah, 2008, it was almost like back to back to uh, square one. And but with again, a lot of experience under your belt at that point, though. Huge amount of experience. Um, but, you know, by that point, certainly I couldn't hang around. I knew that Nigel was in the same boat, Rick, Rick the same. So, we, you know, we had to go find work. Um, I was doing kind of gun-for-hire production work. Nigel was working in a, an ad agency down in Dallas in Texas. Yep. Rick was running his birdseed store. Um, and and the five of us, Harry, Mike, Rick, Nigel, myself, we just kept talking. And, and it was like, well, what if we did it again? This time... No money, no investors, um, and and digital obviously was was key to this. You know, the opportunity to not have to be involved with retailers. Um, and and some very old friends of ours, the crew team, the, the the guys behind Serious Sam and Talos Principle, they themselves had just kind of come free of their publishing deals with Take Two, and. Roman, the, the, the founder of Crow Team, reached out to Harry. They had a conversation, and Roman was like, "Well, listen, you know, if you guys want to, you know, effectively take take on publishing for Crow Team, let's work together." So, you know, that was the the, the kind of kickstart that, that got us off the ground. Yeah. And for the first two three years, you know, we were doing that in weekends and evenings because, as they say, there wasn't any money in it. Um, we were slowly building up some some money, but you know, nothing happened quickly. And then around the third year, after a few uh, games had been released, we could jump on board and call it a job. So that was cool. Yeah, and I mean, there's been so much growth, I guess, in, in Devolver in the years since that point. Um, what do you kind of yeah, say? I mean, what do you say on your end? I mean, obviously, you're starting small. You, It's like you said, you're going back to square one. But these days, I guess, Devolver overseas in various different capacities... Oh, I mean, how how many games I guess under the umbrella these days? It's a it's a larger number than early on, obviously. Well, we, yeah, I mean, well, that obviously this this is our tenth year, um, and I think we, we've released um, in that ten year probably just over sixty different games, but you know probably about a hundred you know skews, if you will, you know, like different platforms and so on. But it's been I mean, the first three years it was probably five games. Yeah. In the first three years, I think it's really it's, it's it's picked up momentum, but that's also kind of 
not just us, that's the developers we're working with themselves have become increasingly prolific. Yeah, um, so, yeah and getting... refined their own craft. Exactly. So, so I mean, we, we've been in a lovely situation where we've, we've been working with some developers, like Coteen for 10 years, but other developers for seven years. And, and over those seven years, they themselves have become, yeah, they've, they've got much better at, 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 at what they do. They've hired maybe new people into their teams. Uh, they've grown in ambition. So we're getting the benefit of, of their growth. Um, no, that, that's fair enough. So to you, and obviously like there's um, a very kind of diverse spread, I guess, of different titles that have been released under Devolver's name under, over the journey. But um, how do you decide kind of what comes, and obviously it's part of it, it's a team decision, but uh, how do you kind of decide what games come aboard? Because I assume there's got to be a degree of, um, obviously the obvious one being, you know, you're a fan of the idea, but beyond that there's marketability and all those sorts of other aspects as well. How, how does that decision process kind of look like? Um, well, I think the easiest thing for me to... We don't. We we at Devolver, none of us believe that we are hit makers, yeah. And that we've got any kind of um, you know insight into what's going to work. Um, so every project we, we get involved in is is well. There's two ways, I guess. One is like I said, some of the developers we are on their third, fourth, and in, in some cases fifth project. Yes. With those people, there's a level of trust, um, both in in in, in them from our perspective, but also in, in us from them. Absolutely. So, of course, if, if, free, if free Lives make a game called Blowforce, and the next game is Genital Jousting, and the next game is Gone, and the next game is Cricket Through the Ages, we've been delighted to be involved in all of those projects, but you can see that we never had any influence on which direction they took. That, that's, that's just the way they've gone, and, yeah. and obviously you know, we're, we're, we're absolutely thrilled to, to, to be the publisher of those games. Um, and you'll see a lot of that, you know, it's, it's actually the developers themselves that we're working with who've maybe released something like Serious Sam and then go and make the Talos principle. And there's there's no way we would have made that that kind of creative leap. Yeah, know, of course it's a, a publisher. It's, a, it's, that, a, it's an interesting that's jump. Entirely them. Yeah. Yeah. And and then so really the other games that you know, from from let's say developers would get we would get to work with when they've they've pitched us something and we've been excited by it. Generally speaking, it's if you imagine what it's like for you uh, when you get games sent to you, uh, maybe to review. You, you know, you, if you imagine that process started two years earlier, when the game's in its kind of like you know early stages. Yeah. I think the reaction would be exactly the same. You pick it up, and somehow you just know this is going to be fun, and you you, know, you can't always quite verbalise why that's the case. Yeah, okay. It's almost like, you know, you get a game like My Friend Pedro, and actually, we literally just saw some, some gifts of that, and, and they were almost enough. Yeah, I can understand that. We want to get involved with this. So I think, I know this is not, it's not a particularly useful answer, but I think it's as much to do with how you feel. Um, and we've got quite a diverse group in terms of gaming likes, you know, within the Devolver group. So you tend to find that you know, it might be that Andrew brings in a more, you know, I don't know, action-orientated, you know, approach, or uh, Anna's more into narrative games in her, you know, spare time. So you've got different people bringing in different 
their their own particular interests. Um, and once once the project gets into the group, um, you generally find if it's got that far, um, it's going to go all the way because you know there's someone backing it and his who's thought it through, um, and he's got to know the developer over a number of months. Um, so, Is yeah. It- is it one of those things, though, because obviously, as you mentioned, you've used a few different examples so far. Um, there's there's several different people involved in that decision-making process. How how do you come to the final decision that, yes, this is one we're going to go with? Is it um, is it like a, a unanimous vote sort of thing? Is it... Yeah. Do we need... Really, is yeah, there we, one we, person that really lobbies for it? Or like, how does that... How yeah, does that I, I mean, I think we've always tried to keep it from the perspective that we are a small group, Um the projects once we're working on them are very intense. Um, things never go quite as smoothly as you imagine, despite no, all the experience you might have. Yeah. yeah. So we've always felt that it's, it's vital that everybody's 100% in. Um, and it's not based on some majority vote. It's just like everybody's in, everybody's committed. Um, but again, I suppose... When I look at it that way, we don't really do a lot of projects, you know, outside of the developers we've been working with who continue to work with us. We probably only add, you know, maybe three or four other, you know, other projects in any given year. Yeah, okay. Um, and again, there's a lot of due diligence, the boring stuff that happens before they get added, you know, like making sure the developer has the, the team, the resources, the, the tools, everything they need to make the game that they've actually pitched. Um and so, you know, by the time you've got all the way through that process, you know, pretty much everybody's intimately uh, involved with the, with the project anyway. So, yeah. Have you had um, many or any of those games where you've really found yourself tossing and turning, you know, it might have been kind of, and maybe, uh, I don't know, struggling to sleep or equivalent where you've really been on the edge about a particular game, unsure which way to go? Or has it always uh, been a very... Because no. you're talking about the feeling so much. Is it one of those things like yeah, it either think, hits you or it doesn't? I think, you know, the only the only things that, you know, we, we, and we're able to laugh at ourselves is there's been a few projects that that either we kind of were hesitant about, you know, and we maybe took longer than we should have. Yeah. Um, and I know that, that game found another route uh, without us and went on to be a amazing success so that kind of reminds you that you just really don't know what you're talking about <laughs> well yeah there is that human aspect and we we can, never can know at the end of the day yeah so no i mean i think we try we to be very open and honest with the developers um and and we, we we stress that point us saying no to a game doesn't mean anything uh in terms of the game's potential um that game and it has uh, has happened at least three or four times I can think of where the game has gone on this really, really well. So, yeah. Any, Essentially, any, we're idiots. Any particular game that you'd, you'd care to mention at all? That I, um... I think I think it would be unfair of me to do that. I think if, if those developers chose to tell the story, I'd be. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now. But yeah, I mean, yeah, very successful. <laughs> We're not I, talking Minecraft, okay? It wasn't Minecraft. Yeah, okay, right. I mean, that, that, that would have been... I could totally understand you maybe kicking yourself if that one didn't work out. Yeah. Um, so, I, there's none that immediately spring to mind, but what what does it look like if a game doesn't um, review, sell, 
particularly well. What, what does that what does that kind of mean for for you specifically? Um, the the partnership with the developer. What kind of happens there in the event that a game doesn't maybe perform to some <coughs> perceived expectation or whatever? Um, well, I mean, we, we, I think we've been very lucky that for the most part everything we've been involved in has gone on to you know do well. Yeah, I was I was struggling to think of anything, and I was I was pouring through lists there, and there was nothing that immediately struck me as a game that might have a quote unquote tanked or or whatever verbiage you yeah, wish no, to we use. Haven't, we haven't really had that experience, and one of those reasons would be because the world is digital, and therefore once the game is out there, it can stay there for in, in perpetuity. Yes, of course. Unless the platform unless the platform gets shuttered, um, so um, I think. We're realistic human beings. We're not. We're not. We don't, as I said earlier, we don't consider ourselves in the hit making business. Um, so our expectations are are, are realistic. Uh, and obviously, when it comes to discussing that with the developer, that's part of the whole process at the very start. You know. Yeah. Uh, so as long as everybody's got their eyes open, um, you know, because as I say, none of us can can honestly say that this is this this is definitely going to be a hit or this is definitely going to sell you know a couple hundred thousand units you, know, you just don't know yeah absolutely um, but we've been we've been lucky so far in as much as we haven't uh, suffered um, you know like, again coming out and, and tanking like you mentioned so no so far so good I'm touching a lot of wood yeah, right now touch wood yeah good um now you're you're in Australia at the moment. You're here for PAX, and one of the things that uh, comes with, I guess, Australia and the releases of games is the topic of censorship. And I guess we've had a few games that have either uh, been refused classification in the form of Hotline Miami 2. They've been right on the fringe there, such as a title like uh, Weedcraft, for example. How do um, how does the kind of conversation between, I guess, um, you at Devolver and the the developer, how, how does that kind of look when, you, when you're looking at a game that may or may not, or it has already been determined to be uh, unacceptable for a particular audience, whether that's Australia or anywhere else in the world? Um, well, we don't, you know, if, if we want to sign something, um, that's, that's the end of the, the, that, that. That's that. You know, we don't really then, we don't, we don't oh, we're not going to be able to do something here or in this territory or whatever. Um, we just, we want to sign it, we're going to sign it. Yep. Um, so we've never really worried about it, and, and our, our general take on life is that um, when when you look at the submissions process for age rating, <coughs> excuse me, not a problem. Yeah, process for age ratings. Um, you know, ga- games do do have to jump through more hoops than probably film and TV. Um, you know, and philosophically, I think that's because we're still not received very well in the grown-ups world. We're still considered a lesser form of A toy, yeah. Yeah, maybe. Um, but I, I don't think, you know, you know, I don't think until that kind of attitude to the overall form that we're in changes, I think we're going to struggle along these lines for a while now, you know, into the near future. Um, it could even get worse. Um, so... Um, you know, I don't have a smart answer for this. I mean, we, we, we will always respect the systems we're asked to go through and we do our best. And we're always, you know, very straightforward about where we stand on this. We think censorship 
we'll we'll not censor a game to get it into a market um, unless you know if there's a, if the situation I'm trying to think maybe like in the Chinese market um, skeletons uh, create a problem for whatever reason I don't really understand that but they do so if if, if there's a chance to change the skeletons that are lying around the dungeon to something else. Well, that's a cosmetic thing. Then, of course, we're, you know, we're open to that. But, it, you know, specific to, you know, making significant changes to the game's narrative, or then probably not. No, that, and that's completely fair enough as well. I mean, as it is, I mean, hot, as I mentioned, Hotline Miami 2 was the one that was banned in Australia. But I, And I'm not sure if you're familiar, but there was a very, very brief period after that collection um, popped up on the Switch uh, just around E3 time. There was a very, very brief period. I think it might have been about 12 to 18 hours where, for whatever reason, it was available on uh, Australian the Switch store. So myself and many others that had been, uh, I guess, ha- hadn't had a way to access the game up until that point, finally managed to get our hands on it. So it was just an interesting little wrinkle around the censorship drama. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that one. I was kind of aware of it. It was something to do with it was a two-two IARC system. Um, that's my understanding. And then at some point um, that changed, and I think it was perfect as you just said. It was like from master of hours. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, we we Sorry. all we all appreciated that little um, hiccup in the system, anyway. As Australians. Yeah, I think I think I, could, I think there's something like that. Around about you know, 1,600 Australians took advantage of that small uh, <laughs> opportunity. So that's an incredible well number for a very short space of time. Yeah, imagine what would have happened if we just stayed there. <laughs> it bodes very, very well for the future. Um, so uh, as we kind of cycle a little bit back to uh, to you specifically, and we discussed this when we were at PAX. Um, in the brief conversation we had there, but is there a particular genre of a game that you would like to see under the the Devolver banner that's that's not currently being produced or released up to this point? I mean, the honest answer is um, I don't. I, until you asked that question, I hadn't really given it any thought, um, and. Um, and I don't know that I, you know, I, I mean, I was thinking about the genres we, we haven't been involved in, um, unless we like, unless we can include anything as a sports type, we haven't done any sports games. Yep. Um, and, you know, not really been involved in any strategy games. Um, and platform games, for the most part, um, are really evidenced. Although, maybe, you know, again, with Apple Arcade, that may, may change a little bit. Yeah, of course. But no, I don't. I, yeah, I don't. I don't really think about it from that point of view. I mean, if, um, I mean, from a from a game player's point of view, I wish some of the team would acknowledge that I'm old and and these stupidly hard games that we keep on adding to the roster are not very good for my aged fingers. Um, yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> other than that, <laughs> I know. I know you did mention um, RTS when we spoke on the weekend. But I think that was more yeah. out of your own personal tastes and preferences as oh, opposed yeah, to, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's me sitting down, you know, having a cup of tea, moving some units around the map, then having another cup of tea. That's my idea of racing gameplay these days. 
So to any developers out there who are looking for some support and you're thinking about reaching out to Devolver, just make yourself a an RTS of some sort and you've instantly got Graham support. Yeah. <laughs> is that yeah. about right? I want to attack each game as well, you know. Something something that gives me a chance just to think. <laughs> there we go, guys. You've got your you've got your charter, so let's let's go after it. Um, continuing to cycle, I guess, a little bit back in on, on you specifically and your time within this industry as we start to wind things down a little bit. Um, is there anyone in particular that inspires you that maybe you've worked with or currently work with that you kind of maybe try to model the way you approach your work upon? Or at any point throughout your uh, career I mean, you've tried to model upon? I mean, the, the, the cringy answer would be, uh, would be Harry. Um, you know, it's a... You know, again, because I'd never really come across someone who was so, you know, I mean, it's like a, I don't know how to explain this quite, but it's like this, this point of principle about no one gets to own the IP except the person that created the, the game. Yes. Um, and, and, you know, I don't want to put how, words into Harry's mouth, but, you know, he just considers that kind of behavior unfair. You know, so it's not even like it's a business thing about a few percentage points here or and an extra chunk of money over there. It's just like it's just a principle that is just to him, um, you know, vital. And um, you know, having been around him now for, for more than a decade, it's kind of like you know, it's pretty inspiring to, to, to be around someone like that. Uh, outside of that, in the world of, of games development, I, I would go back to the Timeless Western Studios. Yes. Uh, with Brett Sperry and Liz Castle, because um, again, they were they were. When I think back to how young they were uh, and, and, and what they were building as a studio, and uh, and this is the days when everyone had to make their own tools and their own engine. There was none of this kind of stuff. You, know, you didn't have the advantages of Unity or, or Unreal or, or Game Maker, uh, and, and just just everything was bespoke, which meant generally speaking, everything was about one piece of code away from falling apart. <laughs> in general, yeah, okay, just holding in there. Uh, yeah, so working with working with those guys when they were put, you know coming out of June two into what became Command and Conquer, uh, and then we quite quickly you know released Red Alert. It was it was only that was only about twenty four months. Um, so it was it was a wild wild time. It was, it was great fun. So yeah, that, I, I always think back to those guys and you know the way it's done things with such good humour as well. They're really good fun to hang out with. So, yeah. I mean, it was certainly a great period, the, the games coming out of Westwood at the time, so I don't blame you whatsoever to be mentioning those games. Um, have there been any particular uh, valuable lessons you've picked up along the way, whether those, it's something that someone said or there's been an experience that you've, you've really kind of latched onto and that's something you've always kept in mind? It's helped drive your pursuits in the industry? Uh, avoid meetings is my, my, my single biggest bit of advice. I mean, Both that's... to myself and anybody else. I'm, I'm in the teaching profession. I try to avoid meetings as much as possible, so... Yeah. <laughs> if, if someone spends... If someone spends on a laptop and says, I've just got this PowerPoint, then you're, you're, you're in the wrong place. <laughs> that's fair. I can appreciate that. Um, on the flip side, any particular challenges that you've, that you've really um, had to overcome? The things that have been difficult for you throughout your time? Has it been getting through meetings? I think... <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, yeah. No, I, I think, yeah, definitely that. Um, I mean, obviously, going back to the to the nineties and into the early two thousands, it was very, very hard to get, you know, um, funding uh, for developers. Um, 
which usually left them in the hands of publishers, and publishers usually were the people who were going to take ownership of IP as part of the package. Uh, yeah. Fortunately, that has changed in the last 10 years, <clears throat> which is great. And there seems to be more uh, developer-friendly uh, businesses around in terms of whether it's Unity or Unreal. And you know, from, the, from the, the tech side, there seems to be more investment coming in from even state bodies, like you know, not in Victoria, you've had some successes there. Yeah, Film Victoria's been great in, here locally, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, and similar things are happening in Spain, France, um, even in the UK, although the UK is more of a tax credit system. But nevertheless, there is, there's been more routes to getting funding, um, which is why I think, again, we've got such a diverse kind of games scene now. Oh, it is, yeah, 100%. <laughs> So that is encouraging. Um, hopefully that will continue. What have been some and of I'm the... I'm sure it will because... Oops, sorry, go on. I was going to say, I'm sure it will because, again, if the Victoria Fund were involved with uh, one type of this game, then they're seeing a massive success. So that must give them a good, a good feeling about why yeah, that's supported that team. Proof in the pudding right there. Yeah. Um, have there been any particular highlights or treasure memories, things you've really kind of latched onto from your career so, uh, so far? Anything you really look back on fondly? Specific things? Ah, I mean, I think from a developer perspective, the, the, the kind of moment would be going back to PlayStation uh, conference at E3 in their keynote uh, when they included, um, you know, Talos Principle, Hotline Miami, Not Hero, um, and uh, Titan Souls. And we were... We were outside of E3 at our usual little spot in the car park, you know, and it's just still, it still didn't. We knew it was going to happen, obviously, you know, but but seeing it's a whole other thing. For the, yeah, nothing, nothing prepares you for the, for, for, you know, what happens in terms of like how that changes the perspective on on you from a media perspective. Yes. Um, people that perhaps, I'm not saying they're ignoring us, they have other things to do, you know. So, but no, I understand. Suddenly. We suddenly were elevated, and, and also, um, it's kind of cool <coughs> seeing these games being broadcast on a global basis. Yeah, it makes so a huge totally difference. Fun. Yeah, um, and uh, other than that, the fact I still get to pretend I know what I'm doing, um, you know, every day helps. So, now, good. you were in uh, Australia, you were there with uh, the Mediatonic guys to do some promotion for Fall Guys. But excluding that game because it's still coming, do you have a favourite, a favourite child, a favourite game that uh, that you've worked on or overseen in some capacity? Um, so the answer to that is one you're, I'm sure you're expecting is that all my children are beautiful, uh, <laughs> they're all smart, um, I love them all equally. Um, a video favourite video um, game child. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, 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 uh, I mean, it, you know, again. We've been, I'm sure you noticed, we've been pushing out uh, a lot of games on Switch. Yes. Uh, you know, new and original games, but also uh, we went back and added some of the games from from like, like Doom Force, uh, Hotline you just mentioned. Yep. Um, and yeah, the, the back catalogs coming back. Yeah, and I'd forgotten how much, how insanely good Broforce is for that sort of 10, 15 minutes worth of just... Yeah, it's just it's just one of those games that once you start playing it, it's like just having your favourite meal for 15 minutes and then you know putting it down. So I've been playing a lot of badminton, um, 
Fantastic choice. Uh, it hasn't got old. Yeah. No, it still holds up. I, it was only a few months ago, I think, that I was yeah, um, dipping my toes back in again. Uh, still, yeah, still holds up. Very thoroughly enjoy it. Um, if there was any one game that you that's ever existed retroactively uh, that you could be credited for in some particular way, do you have one? Is there a particular game at all that springs to mind? X-Wing versus Tiger. Oh, yeah. Yeah, solid choice. Yeah. Um, yeah so you're a bit, when you, bit of a Star it, Wars guy? It's, it's just it. If Andrew, my, my, my colleague at the moment here at this podcast, he'll be like, you didn't see Indiana Jones, you idiot? <laughs> I guess that's a conversation I'll leave you to ha- have at some other point then. But, I mean, X-Wing, X-Wing versus TIE Fighter is a fantastic game, so I can totally see why you've chosen that one. Um, what was it about that that spoke to you so much? Oh, I mean, it's just, it, I mean, it, I used to play that at work, and because um, it, it was in a place that, that had a, a PC that was good enough to run it, and it was my lunchtime thing for about, I don't know, I'm, I'm going to say probably about a year. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, and it's just that thing that, you know, uh, at the time, it just seemed to be cutting-edge graphics. It seemed to be like being in an X-Wing. <laughs> yes. No, no. The, the, yeah. I, I saw people recently at that new Disneyland Star Wars thing there. They were, they were kind of riding in a Millennium Falcon, and I could you could see and hear the thrill in their voices. So I can appreciate the, the idea of feeling as though you're in the X-Wing. That'd be fantastic. Yeah. Um, Graeme, thank you very much for coming on the show and, and sharing your story and, and talking to us a little bit about some of your experiences through the industry so far. But if um, people were looking to to catch up with you and and uh, follow your progress and anything that's coming out of Devolver, uh, where would they be best to go to? Um, I mean, the Devolver Twitter account is about the most up-to-date thing that we have. For sure. Or you can follow Fort Parker on Twitter um, for all the hot gossip. Uh, that's pretty much the, the, the two places you'll get anything that's uh, useful. I wouldn't follow me on Twitter because it's mainly about my cats. But there, no, there are lots of people like cat uh, photos and videos. So there's, there's no issues with that. Well, if, you're, if, you're interested, if you're interested in that, then it's uh, Grim1011. Uh, awesome. Well, Graham, thank you very, very much for coming aboard today, for giving me your time again after um, after PAX, because you, you should be out there enjoying a, 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 the sights of Australia right now, but you've you've uh, thankfully given me your... Your, your time today well, and the listeners. Don't feel too bad. I'm about to go to the Oyster Bar at the uh, Sydney Opera House and have a, a beer, so I'm doing okay. Yeah, you are doing all right, actually. I'm, I'm suddenly quite jealous as I sit here in my work yeah. office. Uh, Graham, thank you I'm very, very much for coming aboard. All right, take it man. And uh, as always, listeners, thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next time. That concludes this entry of Dev Diary. Be sure to subscribe to this feed, share with your friends, and give us a five-star review to help boost the show up the charts for greater exposure. If you have any people you would like me to reach out to an interview, then please find me at Paul James Games on Twitter to help me get in touch with them. Until our next episode, however, that's been Graham's story. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next time.